0: The people in life are countless. So we pray you heed our request. Enjoy this tale of sidekicks and sidequests. Sidequests and sidequests. Sidequests and sidequests. Episode 77, Sahara the Werewolf Blacksmith. Welcome to Sidekicks and Sidequests, the Dungeons & Dragons podcast that helps to put humans back into humanity and breathe life into your campaign NPCs with backstory and bravado. That's right, we're building a world, one character at a time. I am your host, Kurt Krenwogi, the Bardic Paladin, and I'll be joining Joshua Simon's table in the Levitating Platter. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to another exciting episode of Sidekicks and Sidequests, the best unofficial Dungeons and Dragons podcast in my humbly biased opinion. I've got a wonderful guest lined up for you, uh, but I gotta leave you on a cliffhanger with this first ad read of the show from Plus One EXP. Tony Vicinda is the mastermind behind his mastercraft of beard balms, game design, and community building. He's got beard balms named after all the basic stats from D&D, so get a can Apply it to your face and smell the sweet aroma and the sweet victory that comes along with increased strength, dexterity, charisma, and more. Beards and Beyond is the indie RPG that helped to launch this brand, but Tony has collaborated and developed several other projects including Repugnant, Eye Toaster, Down We Go, Through the Void, Vamp Nugula, and Brandstanding. If you support Plus One EXP either by buying something on the website or by going to tonyplusone.itch.io, it all helps funnel into the Plus One Forward program, which seeks to support additional indie tabletop content creators to continue making awesome stuff. I'd highly encourage you to follow Tony and Plus One EXP on all the socials, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, in order to keep up with all these various projects he's working on, as well as upcoming interviews, one-shots, and actual plays of some of these other amazing indie artists ttrpgs so if you don't mind please go to plus1exp.com. use that affiliate code randolph when you're buying a beard bomb or a beard rpg in order to get some savings on your purchase at no extra cost to you again that code is randolph on the website plusonexp.com well i've left you in suspense mystery guest hello would you care to introduce yourself tell us who it is that you are and what is it that you do
1: Hey, hi. Wow, that was really suspenseful, but uh, it was a nice ad read. Good, good job there. Yeah, uh, yeah, my, yeah. Name, my name is Josh, uh, Joshua Simons. You can find me uh, everywhere on the internet at Joshua M. Simons uh, or on my Twitch channel at Joshua Simons. Uh, what don't I do? I'm the community and content manager over at Demiplane. Mm. I am the Assistant Director of Ambassadors for Jasper's Game Day, uh, and I am also a freelance tabletop game designer. I'm a variety streamer. I also perform on several tabletop actual play uh, streams and shows, uh, and, uh, you know, I'm just like a generally kind of person who doesn't sleep. People call those (laughs) vampires, uh, Mm -hmm. but I refuse to break the masquerade, so I'm just a guy wishing it was bedtime.
0: Oh, interesting. Wow. There's a lot of cool things you said in your introduction. I know I had the wonderful opportunity at the end of last year to interview uh, the co-founder and CTO of Demi Mr. Mm-hmm. Travis Frederick, big fan of him and Ben Wick, the uh, death tyrant chef that we ended up creating on his episode. Oh, yes. And then, of course, uh, I did speak with a Patreon supporter of the show. Goblin Katie, who's also involved with uh, Jasper's game day as well. So ah, yes, yes. So ah, just collecting everyone that's in everybody's networking circles.
1: Hey, that's part of the fun, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is. So that's awesome. So a many talented uh, hat wearing kind of individual you are.
1: A jack of all trades, you could say.
0: Jack of all trades. That's the word I was looking for. A perfect segue then into the next question of do you currently or have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons? So many times there was a period (laughs) in my life
1: where I was actively playing four to five games a week. Whoa, Um, I have scaled back significantly from that I currently uh, am at two games a week soon to be three games a week. Well, actually wow. soon to be four games a week my stream <laughs> schedule is about to get a little bit messy here as we uh, get into the middle of the year but uh, y- the answer is yes uh, i've played many many games of dungeons and dragons primarily fifth edition but i am also passingly familiar with ad and d and 3.5
0: is that where you got your start or um or is fifth edition the system that you started with
1: Uh, Fifth edition is the one that I've started with, and I've actually gone back and uh, retroactively learned and explored some of those past uh, systems. My introduction to tabletop gaming uh, came through uh, Lord of the Rings Wargaming. I was super into wargaming, and then a couple of the folks that I was playing with were like, hey, you should come and join us for D&D. And I was like, what's that? Do I have to do like silly voices and stuff? Uh, And they were like, well, I mean, you could if you wanted to. (laughs) <laughs> um, and I showed up for the first session and I loved it. And so I've been been doing it ever since. That's
0: awesome. So Wargaming uh, to then into D&D. You were following the historical norm of being into Wargaming and then getting into D&D. That's interesting. So you started with fifth edition and then you went backwards and tried out AD&D and uh, 3.0. So what's that archeological exploration been like? Do you see some of like those elements from those editions of the game that have made their way into fifth edition, you're like, oh, I understand the legacy of why this thing in fifth edition is the way that it is.
1: Uh, I've certainly seen a few things that, as I go back and read them, I'm like, oh, this is kind of like an unfinished version of this that exists in a current version of D&D. Or maybe unfinished unfish- isn't the right way to say it, but this is a precursor, something mm-hmm. that has been refined in such a way to exist in its current state. Uh, you know, and and like we can joke about how, uh, you know, 3.5 is just every modifier has its own modifier. And we can <laughs> joke about past editions and all the things that they did that in hindsight, we can go, maybe there's a better way of doing that. But um, at the same time, I think uh, that each edition of d d has a kind of unique flavor to it. And so depending on what exactly you're looking for from your experience, you just kind of pick which flavor you're in the mood for.
0: Have you been following along with the uh, the dusk campaign that Matt Colville and the folks at NCDM have been doing?
1: Um, I have been paying very loose attention. Um, I, I haven't had a whole lot of time to necessarily follow it closely, but um, oh, okay. just just loose. I know that it's happening every now and then I'll see some highlights.
0: Oh, sure. Uh, The only reason I brought it up was just because as you were explaining, like each edition has its own flavor. That's the edition that I started on was Mm. fourth edition in college uh, before I changed over to fifth edition. But watching that game play out and hearing Matt explain you know, because he's been through all the editions since the 80s, really reminded me of like, oh, yeah, the flavor of fourth edition is like you're a hero because even at a level one fourth edition character, you're about as tough as a third level fifth edition character. So the idea of like, oh, I'm this hero. I'm like, I'm out to save the villagers and I can do all these cool powers and stuff like that. It's like, yeah. So maybe the grognards that talked about, oh, it's too much like World of Warcraft or like a superhero kind of a thing. But it's like, no, if that's the style of play that you're going for, then yeah, that, that's a really cool system to do it. And fifth edition is, you know, narrative driven, but also kind of like pulp adventure kind of a way, I guess, you know, harkening back to the early days of D&D, but also making it something that a fourth edition player like me could easily uh, integrate into and understand and think like, oh, wow, this is cool. I don't have to worry about, oh, do I add a plus two here or not? Or do I worry about these powers? It's just like, I have a weapon. I unlock these things so they gain level. And yeah, that's cool.
1: Yeah, look, at the end of the day, like one of my favorite things over the last couple of years has been finding opportunities to explore new systems, Um, because I think, you know, if I was to stand on a soapbox for two seconds, I think one of the ways to best improve your skills as a game designer is to play new things and expand your horizons and get new ideas. Um, And so that's something that I have done very intentionally um, as I've had opportunities to do game design and write for things myself. I'll then afterwards uh, be like, okay, cool like i've i've got some ideas out i want to make sure that my ideas aren't getting stagnant um Mm. and so how do i go and i find new ways to write mechanics new kind of interesting things and so i go and i play different game systems so anytime something new and cool comes out uh, i try to give it a quick skim and see how it works and and, um, find that that does a lot for for me to um, come up with new ideas um, just mechanically speaking.
0: And you've submitted some of these as various um, supplements available on the DMs Guild?
1: I've got a couple things that are uh, available on the DMs Guild. Uh, I've published with Mage Hand Press in the past. uh, And so I've got a couple things out there. Um, A lot of the writing that you can find from me is, uh, you know, basically like stat blocks. Or the the one adventure that I wrote was with Mage Hand Press. But um, I've been dabbling a lot. Uh, and I've got a couple of ideas and things that are in the works that just need to be um, put into a polished state to publish. But alas, the whole not sleeping in time thing uh, sometimes gets in the way of that.
0: Well, as we uh, carry on our conversation, this podcast is called Sidekicks and Side Sidequests, so we like to ask the question of who's your favorite NPC, whether they're from a TTRPG, a video game, movie, literature, history, et cetera, and why are they your favorite NPC sidekick?
1: Hmm. Sure. Okay, so the, the challenge, I think, with answering this question uh, is one, that there are so many phenomenal side characters out there, and to defining a side character can sometimes be very hard, uh, because you could make an argument that like Sam Gamgee in the Lord of the Rings is a side character because he's not the primary, you know, main figure, or maybe one of the two or three main characters that you really follow. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I think he's one of the most, you know, uh, compelling characters in that uh, series. Or you know, we could take a, a step back. I am a huge fan of the TV series Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And I think that Captain Holt, for instance, is a phenomenally interesting character. The show's not about Captain Holt, right? It's Mm -hmm. about uh, Andy Samberg's character and some of his relationships in the precinct. And so there's a couple other characters that take the spotlight at times. So my whole point being, definitions are a little bit hard here. But those are two examples of characters who could be considered side characters that I Mm -hmm. really love. Um, and, and the reason why uh, is Sam's loyalty and, and his fierceness of dedication to a cause and to his uh, friend Frodo is incredible. And then on a completely different end of the spectrum, Captain Holt is got this incredible comedic timing, deadpan delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something about the most serious character also being in a lot of ways... One of the funniest characters Mm -hmm. that just, it tickles every bone in my body.
0: I personally have not sat down to watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but I have seen Captain Holt referenced in, like, memes and gifs and stuff like that. But as you were explaining, like, the caliber of deadpan humor that the character employs kind of reminds me of uh, Leslie Nielsen's character in Airplane. Like, don't call mm-hmm. me Shirley. Shirley can't be serious. I am serious and don't call me Shirley. That Phenomenal sort of reference. Yeah. Yes.
1: he He's certainly, I think, a little more stern in some ways, mm-hmm. but, like, there's a phenomenal um, interaction, and this will be—we don't have to talk about this forever. but There's a phenomenal interaction. I forget what episode it's in, where um, you know he he approaches Andy Samberg's character Jake, and is like, "Hey, Jake, like, do you want to know what uh, what I did this weekend?" Because uh, he had hurt himself, mm-hmm. and so he came in and had like a limp or something, and Jake was like, "Ah, you've got a limp. Something happened," and he like shows pictures uh, of himself doing like a hula hooping class to Jake. And then Jake is like, why did you tell me this when he'd like previously been super cagey about like, not, not wanting to tell anyone. Then he deletes the picture from his phone. It's like, cause no one will ever believe you. <laughs> I think as the show goes on, he becomes very playful and, and there is a sense of play to the character, but his kind of default comedic state is one of deadpan humor and, and, and I think it just pairs so nicely with everything else going on in the show, tangent over
0: awesome great answers and then likewise to the uh the sidekick question we like to ask about side quests so what's been one of your favorite side quests whether it's from an rpg a video game or if it's a b plot from movie or television show or literature minor event in history etc and why has it been one of your favorite side quests
1: excellent question uh who for this how do i want to answer this um so i'm I'm gonna I'm gonna 180 from the last one uh in one of my campaigns that I ran I was very very proud of a uh, side quest that I uh, ran for my players where um, one of the characters had a significant NPC to them mm-hmm. um, who uh, was very formative to them um, in their backstory well, they hadn't spoken to them in a while and as part of Um, our development in this campaign, this particular character who was playing a Warforged, who was kind of going through this um, narrative arc of, hey, I'm a real person, Mm -hmm. um, and kind of self-discovery, and so went through this arc where um, this character's um, significant NPC They had a chance to interact with them and see, perhaps for the first time, that this NPC was not all good. In fact, they were in some ways, perhaps, as a front to this character saying, hey, I'm helping you with this thing, I'm trying to, you know, support you and give you all these things and opportunities to learn and grow in power, but were really, in in some ways, kind of using uh, sort of the carrot and stick method to try to get what they wanted out of this character. And as it turns out, this NPC was Involved in some criminal activity and was, uh, you know, uh, trying to start a war of sorts. Um, And so um, throughout this side quest, the characters went from hey okay cool so this npc is someone that we absolutely undoubtedly trust you hey this is a little bit morally sketchy why are we doing this mm-hmm. okay well we can continue to do this because this is someone that you trust but we have some questions to hey i think this guy might actually be a bad guy we should probably ha- sit down and have a conversation about it too. hey no we actually very sincerely disagree with the, what this guy is up to and we're going to do everything we can to uh foil his plots and it was a very cool couple of of sessions where it went from hey we are all on board to help you you want to start a riot we're going to start a riot to hey uh your messenger has come and reached us and so we have murdered him
0: yeah slowly turning the dials and changing the perceptions. Wow. It's a bit of a masterclass there.
1: A lot of it was really just phenomenal backstory from Mm. this character that I was able to work off of. Right. I will take credit for maybe 20% of how brilliant that played out. But Mm. the 20% that I was in charge of was really good.
0: And then the final question we have to round out the personal interview section, what are you passionate about and why?
1: uh there's a lot of things here so uh, I'm going to keep it to a couple of things. I'm really passionate about mental health uh, you know I work with Jasper's game day that should come as no surprise. Uh, I'm also involved with take this another mental health organization. Um, I think that mental health is something that we uh, have a tendency especially in the states, here where we've got this uh, kind of super ingrained, um, capitalistic, uh, work until you can work no longer sort of mindset that oftentimes we forget about taking care of ourselves. Um, And I know that it is rich hearing this from someone who does not sleep, but I want (laughs) you to know that I'm doing my best. All all, all jokes aside, mental health is something very, very serious. Um, And I think as a culture, we do not do a good job of talking about it. And while there's certainly been a lot of progress over the past uh, few years in terms of uh, making something that's a little bit less stigmatized, there's certainly a lot of work um, that we can still do um, in terms of, I think, as a culture, prioritizing ourselves and our own well-being. Another thing that I uh, really uh, am passionate about is college sports. I think
0: this is the first time. Tell me more.
1: You will never find a more dedicated, passionate group of athletes working together than you will find at the collegiate level in sports. Because there's this drive to reach the professional tier of play. Mm -hmm. um and so everyone who is playing at the college level is doing it because they love the game because they have a dream and they hope to one day make it big and there's so much love and heart that goes into it um and it is just so fun uh if you've ever had a chance to go and sit in uh for a game live in person at the stadium or, Mm -hmm. or the arena or whatever the local athletics Uh, facility of your choosing is called, I highly recommend it. College athletics is so high stakes and it's so fun.
0: Were you division one or division two type university if you went to college? I
1: attended um, a a division three school. Oh, my loyalty division two. (laughs) My loyalties are with uh, the Florida Gators because I grew up going to basketball and football games with my grandfather was a bonding thing that we did. And so uh, I went to a D3 school. I couldn't tell
0: you how our sports teams are doing. (laughs) But when the Gators are on, I'm paying attention. See, that's, that's what I love on this podcast is, like, we find those deep, deep things about what is at the root of these passions and, you know, you having memories with your grandfather going to these games. That's awesome. I love doing the podcast and finding out these things. Yeah, I mean, I went to a Division two school, so... Uh, you know, it wasn't uh, always that we got to be in the Big 12 or anything like that for football. But on Saturday nights on college, you could, you know, just drive down the street, go to the little football stadium there we had in our small West Texas town. And you could watch them have a fun time, shoot off the cannon whenever we scored a touchdown. And, you know, it was, it was a good time to spend with your collegiate roommates and friends and colleagues.
1: Absolutely. And you know, like I didn't attend a whole lot of college parties because of D3 schools, that's not really a thing that we do. But uh, I think the atmosphere there is just electric. Everyone's excited.
0: Wonderful, man, I'm pumped, I'm jazzed. And uh, this has been a great personal interview section of the show that now it's time to head into a part that I like to call NPC Creation. Mm -hmm. All right. An NPC creation is brought to you by you, the podcast audience, and our patrons on Patreon. And now is the time in the show where I give a shout out to our comfortable patrons. Those are our patrons at the $2 or more level with a loud hurrah. So to you, Katie Downey, a.k.a. Goblin Katie and previous guest of the show, we say cheers. Again, for our patrons who donate at the $2 or more level uh katie's actually our highest tier wealthy patron so that's four dollars a month so that means she's able to add an element of chance to our random tables here in npc creation as well which means we may get to see them here in this next section of the show so if you want more details on how to join the cheapest podcast patreon on that platform check the show notes below or go to my podcast website, or you can go directly to patreon.com forward slash sidekicksandsidequest to find out more about our three tiers to help us expand our operations here at the Levitating Platter in this Demiplane and Worlds Beyond. So okay, we were uh, conversing uh, before the show started, and I think the conclusion we arrived at was that you had kind of like a frame of a character that you wanted to roll with, whether that meant like as we went through the questions you just would kind of think of or maybe that might incorporate some dice rolls is that kind of what we're thinking yeah
1: let's let's do it so i have inspired by a single panel of a cartoon that i saw this week which i think is an old cartoon but it made its way to my twitter feed mm-hmm. that is the inspiration for this character uh it is uh the other side is from the other side i believe oh, it was
0: okay i think uh, perhaps I you saw it. this was it
1: the gentleman being attacked by a werewolf saying i feel like i saw that tie earlier today and then there's Ah. a little flashback as he's thinking back to uh the shopkeeper telling him oh yes this is a hundred percent
0: silver oh my gosh yeah of course the far side my uh my junior high that's the name of it my junior high science teacher whenever we had quizzes or tests she would like like one of those comics at the back of the test or something like that so you you'd always have something to laugh at when you were done finishing this grueling test as it were so okay that's cool so okay we're gonna go ahead we're gonna work our way through the questions as we have this picture in our mind so first question what's our character's name do you have an idea or would you like to roll a d20 and generate a name
1: oh let's roll let's roll Uh, absolutely
0: okay so this is a d20 uh two two Aha, okay, so your answer was provided by previous guest, Elvia Garcia, Sahara, so S-A-H-A-R-A, Sahara is the name. Excellent,
1: a very good name. Mm -hmm.
0: Indeed, indeed. The next question, what is the ancestry of our character? um obviously we're dealing with some kind of lycanthropy but are you wanting to roll randomly for a character ancestry race species background yeah yeah, yeah.
1: let's let's do a random ancestry with uh, obviously uh lycanthrope uh, okay
0: so that'll be a d100 or a 2d10 okay let's do it um uh, 51. 51, as I scroll down the list. Oh, a dragonborn. So we have a dragonborn werewolf. I don't know if I've ever actually heard or seen that combo used.
1: Hmm. It'll be interesting to see uh, the scales sprout fur. I would actually be very curious to watch that transformation. Dangerously close, in fact.
0: Oh, boy. The next question is, what is the job or role in society? So based on the, the panel of the comic, you saw it sounds like a shopkeeper of some sort
1: sure i think maybe in a in a fantasy world it makes more sense to be like you know the armorer or or the blacksmith someone who would be making uh the weaponry themselves so um in in this case let's say the blacksmith who is uh you know creating um the silver weapons used to hunt werewolves
0: interesting okay and so since the panel uh, of this comic indicated kind of something about the character we may get to explore this in further questions down the line but it sounds like maybe this blacksmith isn't a hundred percent on the level as far as he's concerned with his customers or to adventurers it seems
1: i think there is a sense of self-preservation that uh, surpasses any uh desire to be the best possible blacksmith in the world
0: i see Okay. Next question. How old is this character? Do you have an idea or do you kind of want to roll randomly for like an age range?
1: Let's say late thirties.
0: Late thirties. Okay. So a dragonborn and their late thirties Sahara who has lycanthropy and is a blacksmith. Okay. So now we get to take a pause from all these dice rolling type questions and now describe the physical appearance of Sahara. What are we picturing?
1: Well, uh, blacksmiths are very strong, so I think I think we're certainly going to see a very muscular um, figure here. Someone who works hard, long hours, sweating in the heat. Um, uh, Do dragonborn uh, sweat? I would assume that all creatures (laughs) sweat. If we were to assume that dragonborns uh, are, are reptilian in nature, sure. um, I, I while sweating may not necessarily be the right thing uh, mm-hmm. because lizards tend to uh, adjust.
0: They kind of, they can naturally fluctuate their body temperature based on their surroundings.
1: They naturally can a little bit, but you know that's often why like lizards will sit out in the sun to warm up. Um, and so there has to you be You imagine
0: some Sahara equivalent. just kind of sits in front of the forge and just is like, ah, oh, yeah, this is it.
1: I would imagine. But <laughs> they're probably oftentimes also trying to uh, cool off after being in uh, the forge for a while. So I imagine that there's like a nearby river or something that they will mm. use to regulate their temperature. So, you know, they'll finish whatever piece they're, they're working on and then go get in the river and the flowing water will help to um, regulate their body temperature back down to a little bit cooler as well. Uh, Probably going to live somewhere by the water. Uh, I would imagine, let's say, uh, like a bronze dragonborn here. So, uh, you know, we've already established muscular. um, Now, in my head, I don't typically view dragonborn as having hair. That could be just like a a Josh thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Dragonborn could have hair, uh, but I just have a hard time picturing that
0: for some reason. We've only had one other Dragonborn NPC created on this podcast, coincidentally, another blacksmith character Mm. who did manage to have a beard, but that was an effect of having encountered a wizard that Ah. kind of like rubbed off on this particular Dragonborn to give them a full beard.
1: Mm, mm. You know, wizards will do that. Um, uh, (laughs) So let's say that this particular dragonborn has no uh, hair to speak of, but that could certainly change if in someone's world, you know, uh, dragonborn do have hair that that's an easy. If you uh, want your dragonborn
0: to have a pompadour, then that's on you.
1: Look, that (laughs) could be a cool thing. Uh, I just have a hard time picturing it in my mind's eye (laughs) because I'm not a very creative or artistic person. (laughs)
0: I don't know. I just got a vision of a dragonborn Elvis impersonator that I was just kind of like pompadour, dragonborn. Okay, I could see that working. Oh, hey, little baby. (laughs) All right. Um, If someone's not already doing fan art of it, that is your cue to do that now.
1: That being said, uh, Sahara feels uh, like it is not an incredibly masculine name. So let's go ahead and say that they are a uh, non-binary character. I I think that is the route to go here.
0: Is Sahara short, tall, or any other defining features? Are they scarred in any way from their blacksmithing work? Do they bear any scars from the, I guess, the attack or whatever that caused them to become a lycanthrope? Lycan... Ly- lycanthrope? Lycanthrope, that's the word.
1: You know, it's all, it's all words. I, let's say that they are like a solid 5'9", okay. um, that they do in fact have uh, some scarring along one arm let's say their left arm, uh, where they were scratched and bitten as part of this tussle with a werewolf. Um, uh, beyond that, I think they probably dress very simply, um, uh, probably uh, like relatively simple trousers, um, but could also do a thing that many blacksmiths do and go the kilt route. I think a kilt is not a bad choice, but probably by default, they've just got kind of loose flowing pants uh, and kind of just a, a simple plain, plain shirt, uh, probably sleeveless, probably, uh, yeah, kind of like like V-neck, kind of low v uh, one of those lace-up front shirts with the, yeah. the string that'll kind of tie it up so that you can um, open it as much as you want to get ventilation or tie it up as much as you want um, in more formal situations. Uh, and they probably have a hat of some kind, something cool, like <laughs> like maybe a, a, a tri-point hat of some sort with a feather. but like a small feather small but a colorful feather like a small blue feather on a dark uh brown leather trifold hat that's what i think that's what i think we're looking at here
0: okay and i'm guessing because of the blacksmith work sahara is able to pass off the scars as like oh this is just an accident from the trade never mind that it looks like a bite mark or scratches it's just I was handling a piece of hot iron and it oh, I touched my arm and kind of scarred up a little
1: bit. You know, whether it's a scar from working in the forge, a scar from testing a weapon that went poorly, or maybe they've, you know, got some history as an adventurer themselves, oh, I yeah. think... I think there's plenty of ways to pass it off, but like worst case scenario, if you've got a weird scar or weird bite marks, just say you're into something weird and leave it at that. Like, we don't have to go into those details. There's so many things you can do to pass off uh, something as being normal. Just oh yeah, it was a really fun Tuesday.
0: Do you want to go ahead and set in stone that Sahara previously was an adventurer, or that's just one of the rotating sort of excuses? Uh, Perhaps they, they, they did.
1: Perhaps that was how they found the the town or city where they have currently settled, was they were adventuring and then found this place. Um, and perhaps either because of what happened with the werewolf, they decided that they didn't want to keep traveling. They wanted to kind of put down some roots or perhaps that was prior to it. Um, either way, I think they were an adventurer for a little while, have a little familiarity with how to handle the weapons and things that they create, and then decided to settle down.
0: Describe Sahara with... Three adjectives.
1: Ooh, 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 good, good, good. I'm going to put a couple of things here that maybe on the surface don't seem like they fit together, but I think they do. Okay. Um uh, I think uh, grizzled. And I mean this in like, they're a little bit like just kind of fed up with um, nonsense. They've certainly seen their fair share of um, the, the the rough parts of life and of the world. At the same time, I think there is a joking spirit, a sense of lightheartedness is the word I'm going to go for there. And I don't think that detracts from many the many difficult things that they've gone through, but perhaps it expresses itself in interesting ways. Perhaps it is a, a slightly darker sense of humor. Perhaps it is using comedy or, or jokes uh, as a way to... Um, mask some of the frustrations and um, disappointments that they have in life. But uh, I think perhaps as you get to know them, they warm up and you find this um, fun sense of humor. And then uh, last but not least, let's pick something entirely uh, kind of uh, unrelated to those two. And let's say, um, hmm.
0: Does it have to do anything with the fact, like in the comic that we're referencing, uh, they led the person who was buying the bullets from them believe that they were silver bullets and then later attack that same person. Is it something along the lines of like dishonest or manipulative or, or anything like that?
1: Well, I don't think I don't think they would view it as dishonest or manipulative. And I don't think that's necessarily quite the right word here. So okay. what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna say slick. And by slick. that I mean they're someone who, if they feel like they can get an edge they're going to absolutely pull a fast one. Not necessarily out of a sense of ill will towards the other person, but out of a sense of self-preservation. And so if someone was to show up at their forge saying, hey, we've heard there are werewolves in the area. We need some silver weapons. They're absolutely going to be like, "You know, I've absolutely got that for you. And proceed to make them a weapon that is not exactly pure silver.
0: And then later goes and hunts the party because oh they heard the rumors that there's a werewolf and so i need to nip this in the bud
1: yes they will absolutely um look out for their own best interest when uh they feel threatened
0: all right now we get to go back uh to the dice rolling uh if if so we are inclined the next thing we need to figure out is what's a valuable item piece of lore a secret or ideal or concept that the character ascribes to obviously it seems like they're keeping the secret of their lycanthropy you know to themselves away uh from prying eyes and ears and such i don't know is there something else uh from their adventuring past do they you know ascribe to this ideal or concept uh, some intangible or abstract
1: so I think the the lycanthropy thing, we can just kind of leave. Cool, this is a thing. It's a secret that they have. Um, but we want a more well-rounded character than that. So mm-hmm. perhaps you referenced an item early in that list. Perhaps they have the single like most incredible thing that they've ever made in their life is something that they hang on to for themselves. And it is this beautiful sword. It could even be an enchanted silver sword. I think there's a beautiful irony there. Oh. They keep a silver sword on their person, perhaps for fear of werewolf attack. Mm. Uh, I'm kind of getting the idea that they're an ethical werewolf. Okay, They will do the best that they can to not attack people, that they will try to maybe even protect their town or their city from werewolves. Perhaps there's some additional compelling reason as to why they chose this place to settle, to protect the city from the werewolves that previously attacked them.
0: Could be a thing. And Sahara, found this community they're in like it's not their hometown like i would say this, that this is a place
1: that they traveled to and chose to settle in perhaps out of some sense of hey i need to protect them from this thing that's happened to me
0: and so there's no loyalty between sahara and any other lycanthropes that are in the area or anything like that there's no sense of a communal bond or understanding or anything like that kind of like a blade situation of like the half vampire of like oh i'm the daywalker and you know i fight other vampires but yet i'm part vampire myself or i haven't seen the movie yet so i can't really truly give an honest uh, opinion about it but morbius the living vampire being like this anti-hero sort of like oh i'm a vampire creature but i also fight other vampires
1: right uh you know i think there's there's certainly a component to that now maybe there's a small group um within the city who all kind of have a similar experience or, or a similar uh sort of value set that they're um connected to or perhaps not that can be a choice at dm's discretion do you want a small you know cabal of werewolves protecting the city from a larger uh lycanthropic threat or not that's that's a great question we'll leave that up to you the dm uh but i think for this particular situation we'll say that there there is no love lost between um sahara and werewolves as a whole
0: okay so sahara does their job in protecting the community from other werewolves and other lycanthropes so that's really interesting so i know we said ethical werewolf this harkens to mind the character athanasius the vampiric bricklayer who we made in this podcast with harper hayes being uh you know a, a vampire who longs to be human again but at the same expense of like not wanting to attack you know people that uh athanasius grew up with had no remorse when it came to attacking predators that threatened the town or bandits and thugs and stuff like that so do you imagine the same kind of mindset with the slick of like oh like some rough characters rolling into town they're like hey hey hey, we're gonna hassle the townsfolk and then sahara's like yeah that's not gonna fly i'm gonna figure out where you're camping and then mysteriously you'll all be mauled to death and they'll think it was owlbears but really it was me
1: I certainly think that there is a a kind of self-imposed role of protector uh, that that Sahara may take on here. Um, And and I think perhaps they are even like a staple uh, center point of the community that they live in, where folks like, you know, look up to and respect them. And they might run, you know, a blacksmithing uh, uh, apprenticeship program and, you know, be involved in community outreach and like feed the hungry. I don't know. They seem like they're going to be generally a very good person. Um, invested in making uh, the the city better but there is a little bit of an edge a little bit of a dark secret that they are working to use to protect the people here in this town
0: and of course we like all of the npcs we make on this podcast to be able to offer up side quests so what's a particular side quest that sahara would be willing to recruit or higher player characters to go and do if you're inspired what do you think that side quest would be or if you kind of want to see what we have in the random tables that would be a d12 role
1: um i've got a couple thoughts but wait, why don't we come up with two right we'll do one that i've got an idea for and one from the d12 role so I'll roll the d12, um, and then uh, it's a seven, but I'll tell you what my idea is first, and then we'll have that as a secondary one. I think perhaps uh, if there is a a good-natured group of adventurers who roll into town, Mm -hmm. um, uh, Sahara could probably use help uh, getting information about the external werewolf presence or a local group of ruffians who are threatening the town. Okay. So, whether you want to have a very werewolf themed thing here or just, hey, we need to protect the town. There are these folks who are threatening townsfolk or perhaps waylaying people on the highway into town. Mm-hmm. I don't know where they're staying, but if you would just tell me where they are, I will make sure that it is taken care of. Now, it could also then turn into uh, an instance where Uh, The party locates them, comes back, and then there's a moment of trust where they go together to deal with the bandits. Or perhaps the party takes matters into their own hands and deals with the bandits. Or perhaps they let uh, Sahara take care of it. I think either way, I think gathering intel is a very easy sort of uh, task. What was number seven on the D12 table as a secondary?
0: Sure, so this answer was submitted by previous guest Darby Pack, find a rare spell component i know we talked about sahara possessing like a magic silvered weapon is sahara perhaps i don't know if their background involves any magic type or if they're working with a magic user to perhaps um, enchant weaponry are they working on a new piece of armor or a new piece of uh, weaponry that involves uh, some kind of spell component that the blacksmith and the magic user in turn kind of have to work in tandem to be like okay we're going to infuse this thing in the armor and the weapon and then that way it'll make make it magic
1: Yeah. Uh, You know, uh, I I think that's an intriguing idea. I don't picture Sahara as having any real magical inclination. uh, So they could absolutely be working with a local mage or spellcaster. Um, But I think there's also potentially idea, much like a silver weapon Mm -hmm. does damage to certain types of creatures, uh, or a weapon that has been blessed, a holy weapon uh, does damage to certain types of creatures. Perhaps there is something that they're looking to implement into a certain type of weapon. Um, I think a very common example that we see in folklore is something like salt being used to ward off ghosts or evil spirits. Perhaps they are looking for a certain type of salt that they can. Um, use in the creation of their weapon, whether that is somehow folding it into the metal itself to have a salted weapon, or perhaps An some kind of
0: weapon, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> that's a good one. Um, or perhaps it's just a, a coating for a weapon, Ooh. something that could be used to deal with ghosts. Let me pull from Pathfinder Second Edition here uh, okay. a ghost touched weapon is okay. one. That deals extra damage against ghosts okay Could be something of that nature
0: that's pretty cool okay so are we thinking kind of like both side quests maybe one generates the other one or are you you have a particular leaning of whichever side quest
1: i'm partial to the one that i came up with
0: uh i i have to be honest about that but oh sure i think perhaps if you do that then they're like hey i can trust you to help me find this ingredient that i need because i'm working with the mage on this ghost-touch weapon, but I need this kind of salt in order to get it blessed to then Folded into the metal of the weapon.
1: Yeah. I think it could go either way. Certainly, a plot hook where there are undead uh, bothering the town would be a reason to get players into the town. They can help with this, get a cool magic item out of it. And then that builds trust for a potential reveal that, hey, by the way, I am actually a werewolf. Um, But could also, you know, then just serve as um, a one and done side quest, too.
0: I'm just thinking we mentioned the idea possibly of like oh there's undead threatening the town and if we kind of go back to the hugh jackman van helsing movie of like you know vampires versus werewolves and stuff like that that actually be kind of cool where it's like maybe you know you have like a modified barovia setting or something like that and it's like sahara is the blacksmith in the town and it's like oh we're dealing with these vampires and it's like if you could just get me this thing we can make this weapon and maybe stand a chance against the vampires. And oh yeah, by the way, I'm a werewolf. So you know, I, you know, it might be good to have me on your side or something like yeah.
1: that. Yeah, there's a lot that you could do there. And I think while well, this character would literally be perfect for some sort of gritty vampire versus werewolf sort of showdown, you know, that's the beauty of fantasy role-playing games is you could kind of do whatever you want with it.
0: Okay, perfect. So then as far as either of these quests go, what's gonna be the reward uh, for success in the side quest?
1: Sure. Uh, I think easy option is if you're doing the component for making a ghost touch weapon, it's easy to say you get the ghost touch weapon afterwards. Uh, If you can get this thing, right, I'm going to make a few of them. You can have a ghost touch short sword. You go up against ghosts in the future, you pull this bad boy out, max (laughs) damage, right? Could be great. I think um, the other one is uh, a little bit more of an interesting one. Perhaps the reward is Sahara's trust and some kind of friends and family discount at the blacksmith. Mm -hmm. Perhaps it is uh, some form of protection or an ally that you can call upon later in the campaign. Uh, Certainly, I think monetary reward is always uh, of value, but um, I also try to think about things beyond just doing... A job for coin because sometimes coin is not all the motivation. If you're only ever doing things for coin, sometimes playing the game can eventually get a little bit boring. I think mm. having some personal investment as a character um, helps find ways to make the game more engaging.
0: Right. We all can't be murder hobos. I mean, you may be the anti hero, and even the anti hero feels a tug at their heartstrings every now and then to actually be like, okay. I'll go on this adventure and help you guys out, and then I'm going to go do Mm -hmm. my own thing and brood or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Okay, (laughs) Madman. Okay, Mad Max. All right. So then we also have to consider the flip side of the equation. What's going to be the consequence of failure or refusing the call to the adventure? Are we going to get the panel where it's like, oh, yes, quote, silver weapons I have for sale and then later going to attack them?
1: You know, I think unless... The party is intent on killing werewolves, specifically uh, werewolves that reside in the town. Mm -hmm. You know, the werewolves in London, perhaps. There's probably not an immediate threat to them. In the situation where they're asking for information about bandits or local werewolf presence... Um, I think the failure is that those bandits or werewolves get some kind of attack on and uh, proceed to harm the town, perhaps even harm Sahara, uh, and there are some consequences there um, in seeing because they didn't do something, something horrible happened. And I think similarly with the uh, magic item quest to get something to deal with undead or something along that nature, A similar thing would be the undead threat is not stopped in time and something terrible happens. I think sometimes just seeing the consequences of inaction uh, as a party can be a very sobering thing.
0: Like if they're like, oh, yeah, we forgot about the side quest and we went a continent over and then we came back. Oh, hey, there's that blacksmith. Let's go check in on them. And then, oh, well, this is a ghost town now, either because of literal ghosts or everyone has abandoned the town.
1: Yeah. Or, you know, they come in and it's a bunch of survivors just struggling to get by. And you see uh, a place that is uh, in ruins with buildings that were burned down and, you know, children crying for their parents who are no longer there. Uh, You can certainly tug at heartstrings in that way.
0: And how does Sahara... As the consequence uh, of that situation, does Sahara confront the players then at that point, as far as like, you know, why weren't you there to help? Or is Sahara even still there? Or what? Um,
1: I think Sahara is still there. Perhaps some additional scars, right? Maybe they've lost an eye or are otherwise injured in some clear way they're using crutches now. I don't know. But uh, I think it obviously depends on the relationship they have with the party Um, as to what exactly that reaction is. uh, I think certainly a sense of disappointment and and abandonment.
0: I guess trying to consider it, thinking of that panel before. So if it does become a matter of Sahara trusting the players of like oh i'm a werewolf and then the party turns on sahara then i guess out of self-preservation sahara would attack the party then in that kind of a situation or if the party took that information down the line and it was like hey world famous uh werewolf hunting squad npcs like did you know that there's a werewolf in this town it's a blacksmith and then if they come back later then Sahara's like laying in wait for them or something like that maybe
1: Oh, I certainly think there's a way where um, the party could wind up uh, on Sahara's bad side. Um, And I think in that situation, yes, yes, Sahara is probably the type of person who holds grudges. I don't think they hold grudges unwarranted, but when it's time to hold a grudge, they will hold it until uh, death do they part. Yeah, there there are situations where they could absolutely um, hunt down the party in, in the nearby vicinity, sneak upon them while they're sleeping uh in the local inn or or something of that nature
0: okay so then it sounds like the panel is actually revealing to us the bandit was like hey 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 oh I, hey i hear there's werewolves in the forest can you sell me a silver weapon and sahara's like yeah you're a dirt bag sure let me sell you a silver weapon and like mm-hmm. just gets a regular sword and then like in a bucket of paint and just kind of paints it silver and lets it dry and then is like sure here's your silver weapon yeah and then later when the bandits at the camp defending Uh, themselves from a werewolf attack they're like wait a minute there's some familiar feature of this werewolf that i thought i recognized from earlier. oh it's too late i'm dead
1: yeah yeah why are there scars on this werewolf's left arm oh well it's too late too late I certainly don't want to um, dictate how this character has to be portrayed, but I do like to have some kind of quirk in how a character speaks or, or something like that. I don't think necessarily like a, an incredibly strong accent or something like that, but perhaps they um, are, are the type of person who will often like trail off in thought, or perhaps are the type of person who will kind of just end whatever sentence they're, they're saying with, you know right so you could be telling them so there's you know these bandits outside of town and uh well i would like to hire you to go and get some information about them Uh, does that all make sense you know
0: oh okay i see so not fully explaining things because they're thinking in their own head completing the sentence but not actually verbalizing the sentence out loud. right
1: there's perhaps something left unsaid. And maybe this is part of how they can be a little bit slick is by not quite stating outright fully what's in their head. They can find some gray areas to navigate, but perhaps it's just from some sense of not wanting to complete a thought, something along those lines. I think there's room to play there, but yeah, trailing off or uh, maybe ending a lot of sentences with a poof.
0: All right. Well, I think We've learned a lot about our NPC Sahara, and now I think it's time we head into a random encounter. Let's do it. All right. So this random encounter is brought to you by Reaper Miniatures. They've been Texas titans of the tabletop industry since 94, and they're here in DFW. They've got an amazing warehouse and game store. They make everything from paints to gaming accessories, and they stream on Twitch and YouTube with tutorials and interviews. Whatever system you're running, whatever game you're playing, Reaper has a miniature for you. Every time you shop with them and spend at least $40, $50 on your purchase, they're going to give you a cool new free mini. And this mini of the month is always something new. I know recently got a gift card from them and I was able to use $10 of it. So that way I could get the new special charity mini they made, uh, like a Nightingale Kenku Bird Folk. It's based off the National Bird of Ukraine. And so of the $10 you spend on this mini, $7.50 of it goes towards UNICEF to help with uh, relief efforts in Ukraine. Hey, you may have missed the Kickstarter for Reaper's latest Bones series that they've been doing bone six tales from the green griffin i know that if you uh, maybe follow up with them later you can see all the cool new minis that they have coming out down the line in the future if you want to support sidekicks and Sidequests and reaper miniatures you should visit my website or check the show notes below in order to redirect you to reaper miniatures by clicking the link it helps track the traffic that our podcast directs towards reaper miniatures so the more traffic the more that our texas powers combine so again go check that link out and be sure to follow Reaper Miniatures on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, and YouTube. Alright, so this part of the show, we like to do a role play, a vignette, a little scene with our NPC. So you, of course, will be taking the role of Sahara, but the question I have, is what of the two side quest scenarios are you thinking of working with possibly? And who is the character that I would be in the scene? Am I going to be like the comic panel? Am I going to be some sort of ruffian bandit that comes into the shop looking for a silver weapon? Am I just like uh, the magic user that's coming to uh, commission the, uh, the ghost-touched weapon? Am I one of my podcast adventurer characters stumbling upon this town and uh, getting a aforementioned side quest to help out with? Yeah,
1: um you know that's that that that's a good question. Let's go with the uh fetch quest for the um magic item component okay. and I'm going to roll a d6. On a one or a two, you're the bandit, the bad guy who's uh, potentially going to find yourself later called lunch. On a three to four, you can be uh, another NPC sort of character who is coordinating with me to make this item. And on a five to six, uh, you can be effectively one of the player characters, a hero who would be given this quest uh, and then uh, later perhaps um, brought into uh, the circle of trust. So uh, I've rolled a six So you can be a heroic character, someone who might be in the same shoes as a PC, who will um, perhaps get this quest from Sahara and then upon successfully completing it, we can save the world together and skip off into the sunset.
0: Okay, so it sounds like one of our podcast NPCs who are like these uh, reoccurring cavalcade of characters uh, that do all these side quests. So we've got four to choose from. So we have Duncan, who's the recklessly brave adventurer for hire. He's happy-go-lucky, happy to do any quest or task given to him. We have Sonya, the warrior woman, who started off as a barbarian and then multiclassed in the paladin. We have Korak, who's the lawful, evil, arcane trickster dwarf rogue. And then we have Chrisley, who is our shy herbalist, botanist, druid, wood elf from the Woad, who recently just multiclassed into cleric. So we've kind of got four different characters that are already set. Or if you think this podcast needs another character to mix in there, then we can invent a new one.
1: Ah, let, I'll just roll a D4 and we'll see who you get to play. Uh, it's a three.
0: So where we last left our hero question mark, Korak went to this funhouse dungeon. He had to traverse the depths to find this rare elusive chicory plant that Binwick, the death tyrant chef, as part of the interdimensional, intergalactic chef's guild, uh, needed in order to complete the recipe. And then Binwick is able to do this. He sat down for the feast with the king and the queen. And then the king and the queen laid on him like, hey, actually, we don't want to be kings and queens anymore. So you get the kingdom now and you get to have Benwick as your chef. And Benwick was like, okay, no problem. I can do that. And Korak was like, oh, this is great. I get to have my own kingdom. But little did Korak know that soon after, about five or six different nations came banging on the door wanting war. And Korak was like, uh... I'm not about this kind of life. And so he surreptitiously, stealthily left in the middle of the night, leaving a kingdom to be waylaid and pillaged by several other warring nations. And so it's some time later that Korak finds himself coming upon a quiet little hamlet, you know, mud beaten tracks and, uh, you know, people milling about and doing their thing. And Korak looks at his equipment, his knives in particular, and is like, ah, these things have seen, uh I had to fight my way past all those soldiers and guards and whoever else just to escape that uh, godforsaken place. But, um, oh, a blacksmith. Perfect. I'll uh, I'll come in here and, uh, yeah, I'll stock up. And you hear the door open, creak open, Korak steps inside the blacksmith shop, and uh, what does he see upon entering?
1: Uh, I think... Sahara is there uh, hammering away um, at a blade, uh, perhaps uh, a, a battle axe of some sort, mm-hmm. um, putting the finishing touches on on this uh, the shape of this weapon before it'll eventually you know need to be uh, completed and sharpened and, and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll kind of continue uh, hammering for a moment with the the clang clang. Claying before um, uh, dipping it back in the water and turning to greet this this newcomer will step forward and say, uh, Welcome, uh, this is uh, the Sahara Smithy. I'm Sahara. What can I do for you?
0: Mm. Well, um, don't mind the blood on these, but uh, my knives and the stuff have gotten a little chipped. Yes, they got chipped in a kitchen incident. And uh, yeah, so, I you know, I, I, I need some new equipment, kind of like uh, dusts himself off and kind of, uh, you know, tries to play off the fact of, uh, you know, maybe he's kind of a little sneaky and underhanded and maybe not the most upstanding sort of a person, but tries to put on a very toothy sort of smile and let you know, like, or try and put off the vibes of like, oh, everything's okay. You don't need to uh, pay attention to me.
1: Sure. Looks like you've gotten some good use out of these. Now, I could certainly just get you a replacement knife, or if you'd prefer, um, I could just refinish these, put a new blade on. Mm.
0: Oh, I mean, I don't know. Are you, do you got, do you got something cool that uh, someone dexterous with their hands and he'll pull out some other knives that he has and he'll, he likes to kind of do the showmanship of like doing twirly whirly knife tricks and stuff like that before he puts them back and is just kind of like i don't know you got anything cool that someone like me could use i'm a, i'm a kind of a up close personal touch sort of type
1: okay so you would use your knives uh right close to whatever it is you're, you're facing as opposed to far away from it
0: yeah uh you know i'm um uh, at a distance, uh, up close, you know, uh, I'm. Uh, I spent a lot of years uh, working on my uh, dexterity skills. Sure, sure.
1: I have both regular da- daggers and throwing knives. Do you have a preference?
0: I guess Korak will look at his equipment and he'll just probably running low, based on the fact of his uh, harrowing escape. So he'll probably be like, I, you know, if you've got some to spare of each, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't mind.
1: Lucky for you, I happen to have a little bit of stock sitting around. Uh, Let me go and fetch them from the back. And there will be a moment where Sahara will kind of uh, pat one of the apprentices in the shop on the shoulder. Say, yeah, just keep an eye on things while I head back. And we'll walk back into a back room. You'll hear shifting of a couple of crates. And then a moment or two later, uh, emerging with one small box in hand, um, Sahara will step forward, place it on a counter, and pull out. Uh, three uh, very finely crafted uh, throwing knives with this kind of cutaway design in the middle for you to actually put a finger through uh, the blade. Um, It's not necessarily designed for intense use up close for uh, hacking and slashing, but uh, when thrown, gives it a little bit more of a balanced weight. Sahara will pull out a couple of these throwing knives before pulling out A handful of more traditional daggers some are straight bladed some are slightly curved for you to choose whichever you might be most inclined to use
0: you'll see like from his person he just grabs a pouch and just drops it and it's like it's heavy with cash korak like cleaned out the treasury as he was on the way out the door you'll see again like some spatterings of blood still on it Um, But he's like, ah, just um, look through that bag and, uh, you know, you find a number and uh, be good with it. He's uh, happy to just kind of like start taking all of them uh, and just kind of lets you figure out what your fair price would be for the discretion for the goods. Um, Sahara
1: will begin to pull out some coins and set aside a pile of coins that might be slightly larger than one might expect given the fact that there's only a handful of small blades here. And this is what I would normally charge. But I get the sense that you might be a innovative and perhaps the sort of adventurer or individual <clears throat> who might be willing to uh, trade a little bit of work for some goods.
0: I like work. I like goods. I like making more money and goods than having to do work. He kind of chuckles, um, but he's like, yeah, I think, you know, if you've got a job that you need uh, me to do, I, I don't say why not.
1: Then let me pitch something to you. And if it's not of interest to you, I will just take the stack of coins and you may go about your day. But I am in the middle of creating a completely new sort of weapon, something that will help protect the denizens of this and many towns from undead. Threats. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with the undead, but uh, it's the sort of thing that will scare children, ghost stories and the like. And uh, we've had an unfortunate uh, series of
0: encounters
1: with ghosts, specters and the like here. And- uh, You haven't
0: seen an undead carnival come through, have you?
1: Well, now that you mention it, I did hear tell of an undead carnival.
0: Run by a lich, goes by Professor Pandemonium that guy was weird.
1: Well, I certainly didn't attend, but I think they might have passed through here about oh. a month ago. Oh boy! Uh, headed oh. south.
0: Oh, oh. okay. Ugh. That I did a job for him where I uh, I helped draw people in and uh, kept cool to myself. Didn't like the goblins that ran their market in there, but um, that that uh, carnival needs corpses to live, and so I got out of there as quick as I could. But. Oh. But, yeah, you know, now that you mention it and bringing up that uh, memory and uh, the fact that I left somewhere where um, uh, at least one of the armies that was approaching the castle, I mean, uh, undead, um, he sort of trails off as he's not wanting to think about the chaos that he just left behind him in his wake. And probably eventually this town and other surrounding communities will hear about the frightful, tragic, awful news about. And he'll just say, you know... Um, A weapon to fight the undead might not be a bad piece to have in my arsenal.
1: I'm just saying it could be very useful, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Useful. I, I like that.
1: Yeah. Okay. So here's the catch. I have found a certain way of adding salt into the blade of a weapon. Mm. And this is a little known fact, but if you read upon your mythology, you'll find it to be true. Salt is very effective against undead creatures of a more spectral nature. Unfortunately, it has to be a very pure salt. And most of what we use as a table salt, uh, should I say, is not quite the level of purity that I require. Unfortunately, the only place to get the sort of salt we require is from uh, the coastline where you can go uh, to one of the uh, salt collection sites along the water, along the ocean. Uh, It's a couple days' journey, but if you could return with, say, one pound of salt, enough to put into these blades, that would be enough for me to craft a handful of weapons. If you were to bring two pounds of salt, I would gladly give you a handful of salted knives, swords, hatchets, your preference. And we could, for the cost of this transaction, say that a favor done is a favor earned, and you may keep the knives for yourself.
0: hmm So Korak will stop and think about it, do the mental calculations, and then say, as he realizes a sudden thought, um, does this salt have to be blessed by anyone in particular? Do you have a preference on that kind of thing, or you just need the salt?
1: So... Uh... I have a local cleric here in town whose uh, services for the blessing of the salt can be hired. And so that part of of the deal is covered. Um, I do, however, need a a much purer form of salt than is currently available in this town, if you understand.
0: Yeah, okay. As long as I bring more salt, then uh, then I get some money back and I get some magic weapons to fight ghosts. So all right. You got a deal and you'll see him reach up, since he's, you know, a dwarven man of stature, uh, up towards Sahara in order to uh shake on the deal. Yes, they
1: will reach down, uh, clasping hands with a very firm grip before releasing and saying, Now if you don't mind, I will keep your uh call it a down payment here, and should you return with this salt as requested I will give this pile of coins back to you.
0: All right. So then Korak will (laughs) pick up, scoop up the blood soaked bag of coins with what's left. And he kind of gives it a shake and he kind of realizes like, oh, maybe he perhaps in this instance was a little generous, but he kind of shakes it off with like what he's gone through. And he's like, all right, all right, you got a deal. And so he starts thinking out loud and talking to himself as he exits the blacksmith shop. And then so begins the montage of his journey of acquiring the salt. And scene. All right, so there we go. We made it through the random encounter section. So uh, how do you think it went with uh presenting the character?
1: You know, it was good. Uh, I found that it was a little bit challenging to present a plot hook while also leaving thoughts unsaid. Mm. Um, and so I think perhaps There is a way to do that with more of a trailing off and asking, you know, and you understand and uh, sort of rhetorical questions Mm. um, and treating it as more of a rhetorical question than a leaving something unsaid.
0: Answering a question with a question.
1: Sort of, sort of. Uh, But really just kind of, oh, yes, of course, you could certainly do that. I'm sure that all makes sense to you. Yes. Mm. I just just. Like explaining it and then confirming that you've understood what they've said by asking <laughs> what is effectively a rhetorical question. Check yes if you understand. Click the box if you're not a robot, so on and so forth.
0: Yeah. As we're here in the final thoughts section of the show, you know, we like to do our vibe check, as the kids say, and just ask, you know, what did you think of your experiences here on the show and all that? How do you think uh, your time on Psychics and PsyQuest was?
1: You know, I've had a lot of fun. Um, coming up with a character is one of those things that once you get the ball rolling, I feel like the idea really just writes itself, you know? And so as soon as we were talking beforehand and I was like, oh no, this is the idea that I want to run with. I I feel like it was super smooth to um, come through this idea. And I love the questions that you're asking as we're going through to help kind of just shape the direction of the conversation. I think that's really, uh, really helpful. And ultimately, I think then doing a little bit of a of a test run, a little bit of role play is also really nice. And not something that I often get to do with a, a character NPC that I've made until like you're in a session zero already. Mm-hmm. Um, and so given the chance to do a little test drive and then come back, I feel like I've got a slightly better idea of who the character is now, having done you know five minutes of back and forth. I liked it. I think it's really a neat thing that I I wish I had more opportunity to do when creating other NPCs and characters.
0: Well, that's the public service that I hope I can provide with this podcast. So, you know, you have a whole roster of NPCs that you can uh, copy, paste, drag and drop into your campaign settings, whether they're Pathfinder or D&D or whatever else and yeah I just hope to be able to give back and uh, be able to empower people with asking these kinds of questions of their games whether they're a dungeon master game master trying to populate a town or you're a player character and you're like oh man I really need someone cool for my backstory oh no I know I'll drop Sahara in my backstory Hmm. and then that gives my dungeon master more fodder as to you know interesting side quests and plots and all these sorts of things that they can use to populate their world
1: phenomenal.
0: All right. And so the very final thing we do here in Final Thoughts is I open up the stage, the platform, the soapbox uh, to my guest. And so this is your opportunity. Go ahead and plug all the things that you're involved with. Where can we find you on social media, yada, yada, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah. Hey, uh, one more time. Uh, My name is Josh. You can find me on the internet pretty much everywhere at Joshua M. Simons or on my Twitch channel at Joshua Simons. Uh, The little M there for my middle initial is missing. If you find it, let me know where it is. Um, I do a whole bunch of things Um, at this exact moment. I think I can only talk about... Um, my Wednesday show, which I believe at the time this releases will be uh, wrapped up with season two. Um, But it's a show called Stay Alive over on the Free Forge. It is a uh, zombie survival horror game, realistic. uh, In our most recent episode, um, we found ourselves in northern Georgia trying Mm. to uh, escape a uh, recent zombie uh, threat. Um, And uh, I can be found on a uh, Friday show that I believe at the time of recording may actually have started back up again, um, as we don't have a a, uh, confirmed Uh, launch date for coming back from our hiatus uh, over on the Hit Point Press channel. Uh, It's a show called Tompo, using the islands of Sina Una, um, Mm. which is an all Filipino campaign setting book and is actually part of the inspiration behind using salt as a uh, property for a weapon that we just talked about today. In their uh, book, they have salted weapons, which you can use against evil spirits. Um, uh, It's a super cool thing um, and is all based off of real Filipino mythology.
0: I highly recommend it. You should go check it out if you haven't already. It's a really It's cool. a book
1: so good, I have two copies of it.
0: Um, <laughs> uh,
1: there's some other things that I'm doing. By the time this is out, they'll be done with. So you can find me in a show on the cobalt Press channel that we uh, put out through the month of May. Uh, I am at conventions all over the place. I think my next convention appearance will be at Gen Con at the end of the summer. But you can find me doing all kinds of fun things. The best way to know what I'm doing at any given time is to follow me on Twitter because that's where I tell everyone what I'm doing. The last thing I want to plug is be kind to yourself. Be sure to take a nap or a day off if you need it and remember to drink some water.
0: There we go. Awesome. Well- Mr. Joshua, thank you so much for your time, and uh, we hope to have you back on Sidekicks and Sidequests again so that way you can continue making awesome NPCs for your game, for my game, for our games, for all the games. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sidekicks and Sidequests. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Overcast, or feel free to save the RSS feed to use the app of your choice. Visit our website, SideKicksAndSideQuest.com, for links, write-ups of the NPCs, and to learn more about the show and the guests who have been on it. To stay up to date and interact via social media, you can follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit by searching for Side KQ Podcast. I would love to talk D&D and showcase your fan art, stories of how you used our NPCs, discussions, and commentary. If you would like to hail the bod, simply send an email to sidekicksandsidequests at gmail.com. To help this show be the resource it's meant to be, I ask that you please leave a review on iTunes to help spread the word and share our podcast with your friends and family. Whether you're a veteran player or an aspiring dungeon master, or you've never played Dungeons & Dragons before, there's something here for everyone, and I want to hear about it. And finally, after two years, I've decided to open a Patreon for Sidekicks and Sidequests. If you love this podcast and you want to help us grow, and expand our operations, I would appreciate it if you would go on over to patreon.com forward slash sidekicksandsidequests. No matter your lifestyle expenses, we have wonderful rewards at every level of Patreon membership tier. Your name on the wall of the levitating platter, a loud hurrah on the podcast, or the possibility to introduce an element of chance to NPC creation. Psychics and Psychoists is unofficial fan content permitted under the fan content policy, meaning I'm not approved or endorsed by Wizards. Portions of the materials used are property of Wizards of the Coast. Copyright Wizards of the Coast, LLC. Thank you for your support, and I'll see you at the pub next time. Bar to rock on! One, two, one, two, three, four! Psychics and Psychoists!